half-truth is the most cowardly of lies. Mark Twain. Welcome to the Revisionist History Podcast, where we set the historical record straight, no matter who it might offend. I'm Paul, and today's episode is going to be a little different. I've done previous episodes about historical films that aren't really correct historically, and I've suggested lists of films that are better historically, but I typically don't do in-depth reviews of movies. But having finally watched the 2019 film, The Two Popes, on Netflix recently, actually I watched it twice, I have to put down my thoughts about this fascinating, frustrating film. In typical Netflix style, the synopsis of the film is short and meant to hook you immediately. It says, quote, at a key turning point for the Catholic Church, Pope Benedict XVI forms a surprising friendship with the future Pope Francis inspired by true events, end quote. Now that's attention grabbing to be sure, but let's be clear about something up front. The two men never met at Castle Gandolfo in late 2012 as the film portrays, and the then Cardinal Bergoglio only met Benedict alone rather than with a group of other cardinals in 2013 after he had already become Pope Francis. The film does indeed show true events from Bergoglio's early life before he became Pope, but the meeting is pure fiction, and thus, most of this film is revisionist. I wasn't even sure how to approach reviewing it for a while. In the end, I decided to take a look at it from the good, the bad, and the ugly standpoint. And for a good reason. It's the only way I can think to break this film down. Let's start with the good. Both Jonathan Price as Bergoglio and Anthony Hopkins as Pope Benedict are outstanding in this film as you'd expect from actors of their caliber. Price is clearly the main protagonist, and he nails Bergoglio, giving the most spot-on performance of a portrayal since Peter Adamczyk's turn as Pope John Paul II in Carol, A Man Who Became Pope. The dialogue is crackling, with a back and forth between the two men that at times is touching and at other times borders on combative. The conversations were not invented completely out of thin air, despite the fact that the meeting never happened, and we wouldn't have known what was said if it ever had. Much of their interchange is taken from various speeches, sermons, and writings of the two men over the past half century, adapted, spliced, and generally parsed to fit the narrative. There's one brief exchange that's purely fictional, and yet probably sums up the difficulty Benedict had following in the footsteps of the towering figure who was John Paul II. When he comments that Bergoglio is very popular, Bergoglio says he just tries to be himself. Benedict's heartbreaking reply is, whenever I try to be myself, people don't seem to like me very much. In that moment, Anthony Hopkins perfectly captures the weight that Benedict must have felt every day, a weight that eventually led to him resigning the papacy. The scenes of the early life and priesthood of Jorge Bergoglio are easily the most interesting part of the film, and I wish there'd been more of them. Juan Minuin, who plays the young Bergoglio, more than holds his own in a film starring two award-winning actors. Pope Francis has a remarkable backstory that's still largely unknown even to many Catholics. And for 
a little more on this, I highly recommend the biography Pope Francis, Life and, Re- Life and Revolution by Elisabetta Piquet. So that's the good. Let's move on to the bad. There's little doubt who the filmmaker favors between Benedict and Francis. At the very start of their meeting, Benedict addresses Bergoglio initially in Latin, something he would never have done. Latin's the official language of canon law, church documents, etc. But the language spoken in the Vatican is, is Italian, which is what they would have spoken. They could have also conversed in German or Spanish, as both are fluent in those languages as well. The filmmaker obviously has Benedict speak Latin to show how hopelessly behind the times he is. Then they settle on English, a language neither of them seems to like, I suppose to avoid having the entire film need subtitles. Later, the hip, cool Francis is shown whistling Dancing Queen, a song Benedict supposedly mistakes for him. I'm not sure what's more ludicrous here, that Benedict would never have heard of either ABBA or the song that was inescapable in Europe in 1976, or that Francis whistling a 40-year-old pop tune makes him hip. Sadly, this is how Benedict is portrayed throughout, as completely clueless, hopelessly rigid, or both. Anthony Hopkins, making the best of what he was given, plays him as a tragic comic figure, which for all his faults, Benedict most certainly was not. Even his staunchest opponents recognize that he had one of the most brilliant minds for the last 100 years. Also, despite the film's desire to make him look as solitary as possible, Benedict did not dine alone every night as depicted in the film. They did, however, get his love of orange Fanta right. One last thing that simply defies all logic is the notion that Benedict would discuss his plan to resign the papacy with a cardinal he didn't even know. This would have been out of character for anyone, and no less for Benedict. Though he's never confirmed this, it's believed that he only told three people of his plan to retire before he announced it to a stunned group of cardinals. His longtime secretary, the dean of the College of Cardinals, and his brother, George Ratzinger. I know it's the main driver of the plot, but seriously. Finally, we get to the ugly, and there's plenty of ugly in this film. The most misleading aspect of this fictional tale is that Benedict and Francis are polar opposites when it comes to church doctrine. They're not. The first half of the film shows them battling nearly every point, with Bergoglio seeming to instruct an obtuse Benedict. In reality, each one of them is focused on different areas of concern, Benedict on relativism and its effect on faith, and Francis on the poor and marginalized, while holding to the core teachings of the church. At one point in the film, Bergoglio even comments that God can change, which not only contradicts 2,000 years of church church teaching, but also contradicts the very definition of the word God. He would never have said such a thing because, well, he's not a heretic. The film also suggests, in a flashback to the conclave that elected Benedict Pope in 2005, that he actively campaigned for for the papacy. While it wasn't a surprise that the man closest to John Paul II was chosen to help transition from his 26-year reign, it's a role he never wanted. He had asked John Paul repeatedly to be allowed to retire so he could go home to Germany and write, and was denied each time. And let's be honest, a man who actually campaigned for the position would not have been the first to resign from it in 600 years. Looking back over the good, the bad, and the ugly, I'm even more surprised that I liked this film as much as I did. 
Lord knows the parts in the ugly section infuriated me enough to scream at the TV during both viewings. In the end, I think that Jonathan Price's performance is just so good it covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't hurt that I also like Pope Francis, probably only behind Pope John Paul II, who faced down the communists, and Pope Leo the Great, who faced down Attila the Hun. It's a film worth watching. Just be aware that it's fiction, not documentary. I wish now that they'd simply made a Pope Francis biopic with more of his backstory in Argentina and without the fictional and revisionist meeting with Benedict. It could have avoided the inevitable controversy the two popes generated with precisely the things I mentioned above while still allowing Price to give that stellar performance. The filmmakers clearly see Francis as the savior of the church, overlooking the fact that that position was filled two millennia ago. Both Francis and Benedict could have told them as much. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you found it both informative and entertaining. If you'd like to help us keep episodes like this coming, please consider clicking on the support this podcast link in the show notes. Thanks a lot.